0: Welcome to the American Scottish Foundation Scots and U.S. podcast. I'm Wendy McCune, guest host for this week, as we look at the life and legacy of Alexander Hamilton, one of the most important figures in American history, as one of the founding fathers of the United States, a statesman, politician, legal scholar, economist, banker, and military commander. Born in 1755, Alexander Hamilton's influence is still felt today, and his contributions to the development of the United States is legendary. We'll be joined today by Nicole Chalette, President of the Alexander Hamilton Awareness Society, and later in this episode by John Kinnear, architect and historian. And now, Camilla Hellman. President of the American Scottish Foundation in conversation with Nicole Cholette.
1: Good morning, Nicole. I'm so grateful that you are able to join us today and allow us a moment to reflect and look at the life of Alexander Hamilton at this very special time of year. First of all, we've just celebrated the 4th of July that the independence of the United States. And I think sometimes people do not realize that Alexander Hamilton was not a part of the Declaration of Independence, but rather his work as a founding father was around the constitution. And so I wonder, could you speak to his early life and how he became this leading figure in our government?
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And as you say, it's a very auspicious time to be talking about Alexander Hamilton. And just to give a very brief summary of his early life, of course, his Scottish connection, his roots, his father, James Hamilton, decided to, as one of the younger sons of the family, did try to go to the West Indies and become a merchant of varying success. Uh, And that is where he met Rachel Fawcett. Levine, who became uh, Hamilton's mother. And so they lived on several different Caribbean islands as Hamilton grew up. And then when Alexander Hamilton, at that point, uh, was living uh, with a family friend, had been essentially orphaned, along with his brother on the island of St. Croix, he did receive some um, scholarship assistance from one of his cousins and he moved up with letters of introduction to attend school in New York and New Jersey. And so it was as a young collegiate that he became involved in the American independence movement, uh, writing very influential pamphlets, despite him being so young, attending what is now Columbia University, joining a militia as soon as uh, hostilities broke out at Lexington and Concord. becoming commissioned as a captain of the New York artillery that then became a part of the Continental Army. And so even though he was quite young, he still was involved from a very early age. And uh, he was likely present on the day that George Washington first read aloud the Declaration of Independence to his troops gathered at the Commons today, City Hall in New York
1: City. And um, we're going to speak a little later with John Kinnear Um, We've worked closely with him around the Scots who built New York project, um, with him leading as historian. Um, During that uh, um, discussion, we're going to touch upon all that he did, Alexander Hamilton did, around the lighthouses, Mm. uh, which ties into his work with the Treasury. So could you speak a little bit to that? And And also, sorry, and also... To his connections to Scotland, because I don't think people realize that he did connect back to his family, which for us as the American Scottish Foundation uh, is very poignant because we were founded by the Hamilton family. The Duke of Hamilton is our patron, and uh, there are very early ties to the third Duke of Hamilton's fourth son, James. That's amazing. So to your question
2: about lighthouses, Alexander Hamilton was essentially the first superintendent of lighthouses under the federal government, under the US Constitution. And so prior to that, there were a few lighthouses, but they were uh, either locally or state uh, constructed. And so Alexander Hamilton, uh, in actually one of the acts passed by Congress, he, as Secretary of Treasury, oversaw the construction of the very first federally mandated lighthouse and then he also um, suggested and used his uh coast guard and what, what what today we call the coast guard and his customs officials to study the coastlines and figure out where else there should be lighthouses and so there is today uh what's called hamilton's light and so he he has such a unique and not known impact on lighthouses in the U.S., so that's great that John Kinnear will be speaking. Well,
1: also, it was his awareness that this was so important to commerce. Exactly. And, And his work as the first secretary of the treasury, it really set up our banking system that we have today.
2: And it all goes back to his... Caribbean experiences and how he working as a clerk for a uh, international mercantile company experienced from the perspective of someone, uh, you know, having to really deal with trade coming into an island trade going out. And so he used statistical data analysis and, and really communication with people all along the coast to first start charting the coastlines and so much more. And so, you know, Hamilton always looked at systems holistically. So a part of providing a strong uh, economy includes being able to provide a strong mercantile exchange. And so lighthouses were certainly a part of that.
1: So when um, we look at Hamilton, there's, uh, there's often a belief, that he was not close to his family back in Scotland, but he was in fact. And there are documents that show this. Um, And after that, I'll touch upon how I feel it ties into the Grange a little bit, but maybe you could speak a little bit to that connection that you are aware of.
2: Absolutely, so it doesn't seem that Hamilton had any connection with his Scottish family, with any of his father's family growing up. But it was later in life, after he would already established quite a name for himself, he'd already at this point retired as Secretary of Treasury and was uh, had resumed his law practice in New York City, that uh, one of his uncles, so one of his father's brothers, reached out to Alexander Hamilton in a letter, and that opened a really beautiful family connection that went beyond just correspondence. Alexander Hamilton actually hosted one of his first cousins in his home. He helped that cousin become commissioned as an officer in the U.S. Navy. Uh, another cousin was caught up in the French Revolution and had been imprisoned, and Alexander Hamilton actually reached reached out to Talleyrand, who was a French minister uh, of great um, influence and through Alexander Hamilton was able to get his cousin released from prison. And so it's really beautiful to see that he was able to reestablish his ties with his Scottish family and uh, the letters are just really beautiful and so effusive of how, what good care Hamilton took care of his cousin, and uh, and and even the connections extended beyond just Hamilton's generation. One of Hamilton's sons, James Alexander Hamilton, later in his life ended up going to visit uh, his family's uh, castle back in Scotland, and so uh, you know that that connection really continued on beyond Hamilton's lifetime as well.
1: Well, one of the things that I've spoken to you in the past about in passing is how similar the Grange up at St. Nicholas Park um, which is his home that has now been restored by the National Park Service and is a national monument um, is to the Grange of the family Hamilton back in Scotland. Um, The architects, um, McCabe, they worked, it was 18 years between what was constructed in Scotland and what was built in um, here in New York, and so I'd love to know if they talked. I'd love to know a little bit more. But the 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 uh, the bow windows at the front, the the whole way that it is put together, they are they mirror each other. That's really
2: fascinating, and. I suppose it's always possible although I don't know if there's information I haven't come across uh any primary source documents but Hamilton began constructing the Grange uh in 1800 to 1802 so this would have been after he established that connection with his Scottish family so I suppose you never know and uh, as you mentioned the Hamilton House uh the Grange has been preserved by the National Park Service and our organization is actually the nonprofit partners to the home, and so it's really wonderful to see his legacy continued on and and that architectural preservation uh, inviting people in to experience. They're both called the Grange, too. Yes, and another interesting connection is that on Hamilton's mother's side, that they at one time owned an estate on the island of St. Croix, unfortunately the family had lost it by the time uh, Alexander Hamilton had moved to St. Croix. Uh, it was also called the Grange. So on both sides of his family, uh, you know, maybe he honored both of them with having that name.
1: Before we um, move on to a final reflection on Hamilton at this moment in time, um, the letters that you speak of, I know of some. One in particular that's with the um, the Library of Congress. Where are the other documents that you refer to?
2: Well, for anyone in our organization really uh, puts an emphasis on looking to the primary source documents to really connect with these incredible historical figures and get to know them as individuals and uh, really understand them as people. And we're very fortunate that the National Archives has published and created this entire website called Founders Online. So I think it's founders.archives.gov that you can sort through tens of thousands of documents from many of the major founding fathers and their correspondence. So you can read the love letters that Hamilton wrote to his wife. You can read the correspondence that that remains from his family. And so those uh, come largely from the papers of Alexander Hamilton that were compiled as well as um, other letters in the National Archives and so on. So we're very fortunate that so many of his letters are preserved again, thanks to his wife, Eliza, who spent five decades of her life compiling those papers and preserving them for posterity.
1: Well, I think that that is another conversation with you. Um, That is so fascinating, because we've noted certain documents that helped put together the Grange and those ones. So it would be lovely to talk to you further on that. But thank you. But at this time, it would be amiss of us not to ask you if you have a special comment and would like to speak to this moment when we also lost Alexander Hamilton, his tragic early death. And um, so if you might like to talk to that. Absolutely. So I
2: know that this podcast is being released on the anniversary of his death, which was July 12th. He did die the day after a fatal gunshot wound in a duel from Vice President Aaron Burr, which of course I think most people know. Uh, But we as the AHA Society really take the month of July to honor Hamilton's life and his legacy. And so we have a program called Celebrate Hamilton. And in typical years, we will have many events in person throughout Uh, New Jersey particularly Weehawken where the duel occurred and then at Trinity Church where he is buried alongside his wife and uh, other family members in the churchyard and so this year we are doing a lot of uh, virtual programming so all that are interested can connect and learn more about his life and so you can find out more about that programming that again is online and free and open to all uh, by visiting theahasociety.org, so the aha so the uh, as well as on our social media channels. And we welcome you all to Uh, participate and and learn more about our organization and what we do, uh, not only for the Grange, but many other historical sites associated with Alexander Hamilton. Oh, I want to say October is actually our 10th anniversary. So yes, we've been around for a decade celebrating that in October. And uh, we always welcome any that are looking to further his legacy to participate and join with us.
1: And we really look forward to speaking with you further very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Camilla. Have a great day.
3: A noble fleet of whalers went sailing for Dundee. Wheel manned by British sailors to work upon the sea. On the western ocean passage, nay, we them can compare. But the smartest ship to mark like the troops, the Valena, I declare. Oh, the wind is on a quarter,
4: uh, her, her engine's working free. There's no another way, that her sail on Fetundee. can beat the old Helena. she needs the trial run. We challenged all between the small Fetundee to St. John.
3: It happened.
4: D, can beat the Albemarle. She needs nature. trial we'll run. We challenged all with great, and great and small fate And D D to D Saint John, Bull Jackman caught his canvas
3: and fairly raised esteem, steam. And Captain. Guy
4: Working free, there's no another way where sailing sailin' indeed Dundee can't beat the and she needs nae run. run, we challenge love with great and small to St. John.
3: And now the season's over and the ships have a while. our flying dipping points for home towards our native soil, and when that we have landed, boys, we're on this very cheap We'll drink success to skippers, hell forget are the team
4: oh, oh, the wind is on a quarter, her engine's working free There's no <laughs> another whaler, like our sailing Faye Dundee can beat the Opelina, she needs the trial we'll run We challenge the great, great and small Faye Dundee to St. John
0: Thank you to Nicole Cholette for such an insightful conversation and to Len Campbell for the interlude music. And now we continue our spotlight on Alexander Hamilton as we are joined by architect and historian John Kinnear, who will share with us the contributions of Alexander Hamilton to the creation of the first federally funded lighthouses in the United States. Hamilton was the first superintendent of the Lighthouse Services.
1: Good afternoon, John. Thank you so much for making time to join this afternoon and take us uh, a little further on our journey with Alexander Hamilton at this time. We were in conversation earlier with Nicole from the Alexander Hamilton Awareness Society. And we touched a little bit around the Grange and around uh, the the various parts of his life outside um, of politics. But if you could expand on that, that would be wonderful. And maybe um, as we were involved with the Scots Who Built New York project, we have discovered so often how Alexander Hamilton would crisscross our path and maybe we have the early episodes um, of his involvement, of course, when he was living in lower Manhattan, but also we discovered an involvement with the lighthouses. Could we start there?
5: Yeah, so Camilla, Hamilton became, of course, the first treasurer of the United States. And one of his primary goals was to join the, the individual states under one national government, which was not as simple as it would seem. Um, so he eventually was able to do that. And in doing that, he also realized because he have obviously had grown up in the Caribbean and knew all about international trade. That was his business from the time he was about 14. <clears throat> 14. So he, he understood that if the United States couldn't trade with other nations and also establish good credit, the country would probably never survive. So, in uh, he convinced the Congress in 1789 to pass a, a legislation to allow lighthouses to be built throughout the coast because safe navigation was one of the most important things to attract people to trade with our country. There were some lighthouses already around, but they were all under the individual state's control. <clears throat>
1: And this was something that Scotland had been very much at the forefront of, I I seem to have heard. Yeah, of course. So
5: uh, Hamilton uh, got permission to build these lighthouses. And he had already been friends with John McComb, Jr., who was another Scot. He and John's father, John Sr., were prominent architects, especially during the reconstruction of New York after the British left and Hamilton and the macombs they all would have been in the same uh, New York society, so they would have been friends. And they really became good friends when uh, Weeks, who was the main carpenter that worked with Macomb, was accused of killing his uh, fiance by throwing her in a well. <laughs> Alexander Hamilton, and of all people, Aaron Burr, teamed up and they defended Weeks and they were successful. Uh, So he was exonerated from that crime because there's no evidence that he actually did it. So.
1: (laughs) Quite something. So at this time, the lighthouse, um, he was uh, the head of, what was it? He was the commander, uh, chief of the lighthouses at this time before he went into the treasury, wasn't he? No, it was all simultaneous with
5: him becoming treasurer because he was then able to write and have enacted the, the lighthouse legislation. And as part of that, he also created a, a, a fleet of cutters, which eventually became our Coast Guard. Their original mesh, uh, mission, of course, was to try and stop people from uh, you know, evading the customs houses and, and, and bootlegging materials into the United
1: States. But his relationship with Macomb really blossomed around and became quite a deep connection when he went forward with building the Grange, which was his home up in what is now St. Nicholas Park.
5: Yeah, but before that, he did hire Macomb to build many of the original first light houses. And he did. the very first one, which was in Cape Henry, which is the entrance to the Chesapeake Bay. That was done in uh, 1792. Then he did the Montauk Lighthouse on Long Island in, the, in 96. And in 98, he did the Eaton's Neck Lighthouse, which is also on Long Island. And all these lights are still in existence. They're all national uh, uh, landmarks now. and. Uh, it was a very successful relationship for the two of them and that and the lighthouses that Macomb designed kind of became the models for many 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 others I think it was 149 of them eventually
1: oh my goodness <laughs> yeah. yeah but he would but he really understood the need to make for safe commerce and the waterways
5: yeah definitely and part of his plan also was to create a national bank in the United States which is still what we have today, he was, he was just such an, he was literally a genius, there's no question about it. And because the National Bank allowed credit,
1: in other words, you could get credit if you <laughs> traded with the United States. But <laughs> the thing that was so interesting about Hamilton, this brilliant genius, was that he cared so deeply about the details of the house that he then built up at the Grange, wasn't it?
5: Yeah, Hamilton uh, again teamed up with the. Uh, with our good friend Macomb, when he finally decided to build his own house for the first time, he always rented downtown before this. And he had—we just know Hamilton, and we know that he had a lot to do with the design of his house. And it had a lot of details that were not common in houses at the time. And and uh, if you go and visit, you'll see it, like the octagon-shaped rooms the verandas on either side, but not connected to the front entryway, which was unusual. Like if you go to Gracie Mansion, you have a wraparound veranda, which was much more common. Uh, At the time, most houses had a a central hall that went from front to back. He didn't do that. It was all part of orchestrating a visitor's experience in the house. You went in and you were either brought to his office, which was in the front, or if you were coming for dinner, you'd probably go into the parlor first for drinks and then go over to the dining room. But it was all a very orchestrated uh, experience.
1: And we've enjoyed being able to be up there and to have had the privilege to work with the National Park Service a little bit around all of that. Um, it sits on National Park Land, which is a part of the St. Nicholas um, City Park. And um, they have done a wonderful restoration of it.
5: They really have. And, of course, this is the third move of this house. Um, and, ironically, it's been moved three times, but all in on property that originally was owned by Hamilton. And uh, it, it was an ordinary move, actually,
1: the last time. The um, We should try to um, make sure that we put up that wonderful speed video of picking the house up and moving it down that very big hill um, into this in, in present location. Um, but what I think was—it's very moving is that it sits on the furthest corner of the original land, which I think is very, very in, very special.
5: Yeah, very much so.
1: And I'm very I'm pleased and honored that we have been able to work closely with the National Park Service and have been, uh, we've visited quite often, you and I, the Grange, and they really have done such a wonderful job of restoring uh, the property and with this incredible move that they made.
5: Yeah, very much so. And again, you and I were very fortunate to have been able to coordinate quite a bit between National Park Service and the New York Parks Department because they had to work on an agreement to put the house in what was actually, at the time, part of the, one of the New York City parks, St. Nicholas Park, and uh, and and we also had an opportunity to help with the relandscaping of the situation to make it appear more like it would have at the time Hamilton lived in his house, which was well- also farm in a way yeah you know.
1: but you also caught something which was that there's um his book of drawer you know his diary with his notes about the garden noted the 18 foot round flower bed and you pointed out that that could be in the front and uh the national parks were you know responsive to this whole idea weren't they
5: They were, they were terrific. It took a while to get it approved, but they actually then recreated the garden based on his drawing and his notes in front of the Grange, which was was really very nice to have done.
1: Yeah, I'm very proud of that. So John, thank you so much for talking to us today about Alexander Hamilton and a little bit more of the other insights to him. And we look forward to catching up with you around other parts of the Scots Who Built New York project which you (laughs) lead on and guide us through. And so thank you today.
5: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed uh, sharing some of this information with everybody. Take care. Okay, bye.
0: We thank you for joining us today as we have looked back at one of our most important Scottish Americans, a founding father of the United States, Alexander Hamilton. I thank you to our guests and to you all for listening. Join us on the first and third Monday of the month for the ASF Scots in US podcasts available on your favorite platforms, Facebook Live and YouTube.